This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonsby. Welcome. One of the greatest and purest symbols in this land has been compromised. I love the Canadian flag. I love its story. I love the tale of its colors and of its adoption. I love that it has a leaf on it, the singular symbol that's been associated with this country since before it even was a country. Canadians have adorned uniforms with the maple leaf and we're doing it 50 years before it was adopted as the signature symbol of this country. I myself have a long history with it, having grown up under this flag, but I even have it a connection with it on a personal level. It may strike you as odd that I'm talking flags on a literature podcast, but that's actually very easily explained. This is first and foremost a podcast about stories, and the flag of Canada has a profound and fascinating story. But a recent and lamentable chapter has been added to its history. But I'll come to that. As well, a flag is a symbol, and any good reader, writer, teacher, and podcaster on literature needs to appreciate himself a good symbol. Many Canadians born after 1965 don't realize that the maple leaf isn't our original flag, nor do they know how hotly debated the change was when it happened, more than a decade before I was even born. Our original flag was called the Red Ensign, and though it went through several versions, the best known and the one I'm currently flying on my own flagpole in my own yard has a red background with a Union Jack in the top left corner, as places like Australia and New Zealand still have today. In the lower right is our original coat of arms, and though its symbols within the coat of arms are severely dated, it's a heck of a lot better than the dog's breakfast that's on the front of our passports now. Like, jeez, symbols are important, but you can way overdo it. On the red ensign, The coat of arms is a shield divided into five portions. You have the three lions of Britain, the single lion of Scotland, the harp of Ireland, and the fleur-de-lis of France. This acknowledges the four founding European nations most acceptable to Canadians in 1867. And it became dated basically the moment it was made and has certainly become only more dated as time has gone by. It's dumb that this part of the coat of arms still adorns our passports. At the bottom of the shield is a single stem with sprouting three maple leaves, reminding us that this symbol has been associated with our nation right from the beginning. Though the three was the more famous symbol, and very close to being the center of the 1965 flag. It'd be great to think that the maple leaf is native to Canada, and so it's on the coat of arms, it's on the red ensign to recognize the indigenous Canadians. But alas, our founding our founding fathers were far more occupied with erasing the First Nations than acknowledging their contributions. 
but this was our flag, in some variation, for nearly a hundred years of the country's existence. It was what was flown in World Wars I and II and the Korean War. I think that changing it was a good idea, but it wasn't an easy transition. It was fiercely contested by many powerful Canadians who saw it as a betrayal of our heritage and our traditions. Spearheading the change with his eye on the forthcoming centennial in 1967 was Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson. His most vocal opponent was Conservative leader and former Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. This was an interesting time in our history because these are two very remarkable men in Canadian history, no matter your personal ideology. Actually, in a pure sense, ideology was what it was all about. Pearson was a true small-l liberal in that he wanted to enact positive change. He wished to see Canada come into its own by its 100th birthday. After the Statute of Westminster in 1931, Canada had become entirely independent of Britain, choosing to remain a member of the British Commonwealth with the Queen as our head of state, now called the Queen of Canada for us. Most of this was honoring tradition, but it also was probably a means of keeping a difference alive between ourselves and our Yankee neighbors to the south. Pearson and many Canadians felt that we had come of age, and the late 60s saw many shifts in our national identity, like the adoption of the Official Languages Act, which was a full embracing of our, our bilingualism, a further embracing of the multiculturalism that had, that had only grown since the end of the Second World War, and a new flag would better represent this modern nation in Pearson's eyes. And in opposition to all this change was... Pearson's constant rival, John Diefenbaker. Dief the Chief was a lawyer from Saskatoon, an amazing orator, and he had defeated Pearson twice in the past decade to serve as Prime Minister himself, though Pearson had made good of the time he didn't make office by de-escalating the Suez Crisis and earning the Nobel Peace Prize. All this was long before I was born, but my studies have always indicated that Diefenbaker was more capable in opposition than he ever found himself to be in office. In his time as Prime Minister, he annoyed President John F. Kennedy because JFK was the young, sexy, dynamic leader who didn't wear a hat outside, and Deef was the stuffy, old traditionalist. One of the only things they did agree on was the escalation of Vietnam. And for the rest of that war, no American president would share any unity of opinion with a Canadian Prime Minister. Diefenbaker was a true small-c conservative, an old-fashioned Tory, intelligent, well-educated, fiscally prudent, and adoring of tradition. Dief was a monarchist, and he despised this idea of changing the flag. He had a lot of support on this point. After all, as I said, the Ren Ensign was the flag we fought under in World War II in Korea, and some variation of it had been our symbol since 1867 people supported keeping this going. Diefenbaker even felt that the four nations represented on its coat of arms, all but one of them from the British Isles, should still be recognized for the founding of Canada. He fought hard against the changing of the name of July 1st from Dominion Day to Canada Day. Sadly, for all his well-worded bluster, 
Diefenbaker was out of touch with the change sweeping the Western world in the 1960s. And the day after Valentine's, 1965, he would have to rise to O Canada in order to face a completely new flag. Incidentally, if you look up all of the rejected designs, there's some really wacky stuff that could have been our national flag. We really lucked out that that some of the absolutely weird ideas out there didn't get on. Some of them I can't even imagine why anybody would have thought that would have been an all right thing. But Google it. Have some fun. Have some laughs. Our current flag, as you know, has a single central maple leaf. An object of peace and nature found in all its glory throughout Canada. The two red bars on the on either side represent the oceans, the Pacific and the Atlantic. The Arctic Ocean is neglected, maybe because having a roof above the leaf would have looked odd, but probably nobody thought about it. Might have been nice. Maybe we wouldn't be having such loud arguments about Arctic sovereignty today if it was represented on our flag. But trapping the leaf in a uh, bar three-barred little box would probably look weird. The oceans, the Atlantic and the Pacific bars, are red because, though many designs that were presented had blue, Pearson wanted us to stay clear of the identical colors of our American cousins, red, white, and blue. Oh, and note, designers of Team Canada jerseys, that black is nowhere to be found on our flag. Jeez. And so, nearly 60 years of Canadians have known nothing but the Maple Leaf flag. I was born under it, and then oh, I don't suffer from any dangerous form of nationalism. I still like the flag. I like the idea of the flag, mostly. And as I said, I have a personal relationship with the flag. This is important when you consider that, unlike Deef the Chief, I'm fully against Canada keeping the monarchy. As a kid, I think I maybe felt different, possibly by the influence of my uh, paternal grandmother. But the monarchy's time is up. They serve no purpose, they're a distraction, and a colossal waste of money. Watching millionaires complain to Oprah about how tough they got it shows just how meaningless and out of touch and frankly out of date the royals are. Let's ditch them. Rip the mandate off quick before the queen dies and we have to spend a bunch of money minting Charles's ridiculous ears on all of our coins. What a waste of resources that could prove. But back to the flag. I've always worn it with pride. When I traveled Europe, I did indeed adorn my backpack with a maple leaf and I did indeed meet Americans who wore it on theirs in order to be treated better. I love our flag. I love the way it looks when sewn on blue or black or green. Heck, even camo. I'm not obtusely patriotic or nationalistic. I just like being Canadian and I like our flag. I always have. It, there's a long story about my, my personal connection, but suffice to say that I had a surrogate grandfather growing up who became one of my closest friends and stood as best man at my wedding. He was a World War II veteran, and he was suffering from dementia uh, about 11 years ago when I was able to attend the Remembrance Day ceremony in Ottawa. 
I took a Canadian flag and I wrote a, a comment um, about my friend Bob, where he fought in the war, um, that he was always loved and the dates he was over there on this flag. And after the Remembrance Day ceremony, I lay it on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And as, what I didn't realize at the time, but as is the custom in Ottawa on Remembrance Day, anything that is left on the tomb of the unknown soldier is collected afterwards. And over the course of a few days, people were threading the pins of their poppies into my Canadian flag on that tomb. And the only thing they didn't cover up was the maple leaf and the inscription I wrote in Bob's memory. A couple years later, I got a phone call from the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa saying they were putting his flag on display with stories of what he had done, um, where he had served, and uh, a brief interview with myself and Bob's son. I was extremely proud of this. And even though the Canadian flag was not the flag Bob himself fought under in World War II, it, because of my own birth under it, it's that's an association I've shared with him. One of my students heard this story and forever moving me, penciled a rendition of this image of the of Bob's flag sitting on the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. The picture hangs at the front of my classroom to this day. And that all got compromised recently, this past winter. It got stolen the flag, sullied and soiled. Nearing the end of the latest wave of an exhausting pandemic, the federal government enacted a mandate in response to one from the United States federal government, which declared that cross-border truckers had to be vaccinated. This affected about 10% of the drivers in this industry, but it was a vocal 10% and a vocal 10% with a very loud and galvanized support base. And a large group of hangers-on who were looking for an opportunity to complain about mandates, but also to rant and rave about a series of complaints of shifting clarity, in some cases of sketching legality and morality, all found something to unite on. I support the right to protest. That's one of the great things about a genuine democracy, or in our case, a genuine constitutional monarchy. It's the right to protest. And that is not to say that every protest needs to be 100% clear with goals that everybody can grasp, as long as there's a central idea that governs it. You don't have to agree with that idea as long as it isn't hate. In 2011, I supported the idea of Occupy Wall Street, a movement that spread to other major North American cities. I was in Ottawa in 2011, the same time that I put Bob's flag on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and I saw the tent camps of the Occupy movement in our nation's capital. They suffered from criticism from those who didn't fully grasp what it was they were protesting, but the central idea was that they were protesting wealth disparity how the 1% of Koch brothers, Sackler families, Russian oligarchs, and so on, control most of the world's wealth. Even if you don't agree with why, you need to allow people to have the right to protest. That's how a good democracy flexes its muscles. On the surface, 
The truck convoy to Ottawa allowed the minority of unvaccinated truckers and their supporters to protest against the vaccine mandate enacted by the Trudeau government for cross-border hauling. Although Canada was just aligning with an American decision, our government had little choice in adopting this, but I'm splitting hairs. Except the convoy had been in the works for long before this mandate came in, or even was alluded to. Those that drove their trucks to Ottawa and spent a couple of weeks annoying the locals also included generalized anti-mask protesters and people with signs and flags that unhelpfully just proclaimed F. Trudeau for kids everywhere to see. Um, Okay, there have been prime ministers or public officials I'm not a fan of, but F them doesn't really come up with some kind of a solution. It kind of reads like protesting for the sake of protesting, screaming at the wind. From where I sat, a good many people didn't like the result of our most recent federal election and hoped to overturn that result by undemocratic protesting. Well, the protesting was democratic, but the means of turning over a government was undemocratic, if you will. The people who had planned this convoy, and again, they had planned it long before any trucking mandates were coming down, are people like James Bowder, Pat King, Tamara Leach, and Ben Dichter. Not one of these people is a trucker, though Bowder owns an RV. Uh, He had already driven to Ottawa once because he felt God had told him to do this, like a modern-day Joan of Arc. God had told him to drive to Ottawa and accuse our Prime Minister of treason, though he has never been able to cite the Articles of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms or of the Constitution that the PM specifically uh, has broken. Bowder, his wife, and a man named Martin Broadman uh, are, as, as a group called Canada, Canada Unity submitted an illegal document calling for a memorandum of understanding. Um, they submitted this memorandum of understanding to the Governor General demanding the dissolution of Parliament so that they could set up a autocracy of three. That's basically a dictatorship and not real democratic. Tamara Leach, who... I just recently learned I knew as a kid, and that's all I'll say, is a member of the Separatist Maverick Party and the Wexit movement. Benjamin Dichter is a documented Islamophobe. Dave Steenberg is a soldier of Odin. You can't steal the Norse from us too. Anyways, he's that, and he's a neo-Nazi. Pat King is a founder of Wexit, a documented racist, and a man who has more than once suggested that the protest needed to end in violence. Uh, He has stated that Justin Trudeau should be shot. None of these people were truckers, and it should worry those people who joined them to genuinely protest to be associated with white supremacists, anarchists, racists. The Wingnuts have taken this symbol of our nation, which is 12 years older than me, and they have made it a question. They've hung it off of hockey sticks. That's compromising two of our national symbols. People are seeing the Canadian flag as a political statement, as a symbol of an argument, 
as a symbol of opposition and, for my money, stupidity. That's no good. I worry what Bob would say to see what people are doing with our flag today. I'm sad not to be flying the flag these days. I don't like it. It makes me feel like I'm betraying Terry Fox and Tecumseh and Wayne Gretzky and Lester B and Deef the Chief and Maggie Atwood and Avril Lavigne and Tegan and Sarah and dang blasted Ryan Reynolds. But I'm flying the flag that people died under in wars in this country. People who actually fought for freedom. Freedom against racism, sexism, and the concept that right makes right. They're fighting against the very things that this so-called freedom convoy was promoting. People like Bob fought under the red ensign because they knew that being the loudest and most aggravating, that feeling that might makes right, may have worked in Nuremberg in 1936, but it does not work in Canada in 2022. This is a democracy, and the beauty of it is, if you don't like how it goes, you get to vote. The second you think your rights have been tramped on to the point where you can be violent, where you can exercise a right to take away the freedom of others because you don't understand what freedom truly is, is deplorable. I am hopeful that soon I will be able to fly the maple leaf flag that I was born under and have celebrated for my entire life someday soon. But for now, I will continue to fly the red ensign flag in my backyard on my flagpole because I think it represents what freedom in this country truly means. And if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, you'll appreciate the irony of that. Hockey sticks, maple leaf flags. These people have stained symbols of Canada in order to just be the whiny, loud bullies. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.